Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting. Welcome to another night, impactful night of educational leadership. This is episode 50. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. Tonight's panelists are Nina Taylor, Charles Big C. Carwell, Pastor Dr. Michael A. Evans Sr., and the real deal, Holyfield. Gentlemen and ladies, please say hello to the people. Hello to everybody. Michael Evans. Hello, everyone. Big C. Hello, everyone. The real deal. All right, all right. Well, tonight's topic is very sensitive, is achieving mental wellness in the African-American community. The U.S. Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration reports an estimated one in five people are affected by mental health. In 2011, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services reported one in 20 Americans lived with a serious mental illness, such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or major depression. Mental health professionals reported that 8.6% of African Americans suffer from social anxiety disorders, 4.9% from generalized anxiety disorder, and 3.8% from panic disorder. According to the CDC, African Americans have the highest rate of Current depression with 12.8%, followed by Hispanics 11.4% and whites 7.9%. More specifically, in African Americans, the most common types of mental illness disorders include major depression, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, suicide, post-traumatic stress disorder, that's PTSD. Tonight, we will have a powerful, a powerful discussion to address achieving mental wellness in African-American communities. My first guest is Pastor Dr. Michael A. Evans, Sr. Sir, please say hello again to the people. Hello to all the people out there. Greetings to you. God's covering over each and every one of you. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me tell you a little bit about Reverend Dr. Michael A. Evans, Sr. Uh, he is a proud pastor of the Bethlehem Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas, where he and his wife, Mrs. Lisa C. Evans, and two children have served for more than 28 years. Pastor Evans received his Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science pre-law from the University of Texas at Arlington. He received his Master's of Divinity degree from Texas Christian University. Uh, he received his Doctor of Ministry degree from Baylor University. Theological Seminary, Truett Theological Seminary. Pastor Evans has served as an administrator with the Tarrant County College District, which coordinates and oversees responsibilities for the district's ESL and adult basic education centers. He has also served as the city of Arlington's annual Martin Luther King Jr. speaker on three occasions as a consultant on race relations for church. K-12 
county and state officials, and as a reserve chaplain in the United States Navy, as a commission officer and community advocate, and as the, the founder of the following organizations, the BBC, Educational Enrichment Corporation, the Hope House Community Service Network, he has led countless missions with other organizations to fulfill his civic duties. Pastor Evans is the author of Leadership in the Black Church, Guidance in the Midst of Changing Demographics. Pastor Evans, my question to you tonight, how do you ensure that you successfully carry out objectives and plans in your community and in your missions? You know, thank you, uh, my brother. That, that's a very fine question. You know, I, I think that uh, each and every one of us has a purpose. I, I believe that God has placed in our spirit a, a fire, a burning, a desire, an unction uh, to do good. And, and with that internal unction, I believe that there is an assignment that is attached to that. And, and every individual has it, of course, if they uh, would search it out or would allow themselves to uh, hear God uh, speak to them. Uh, and author Simon Sinek uh, wrote a book uh, entitled Determining Your Why. And, and when you determine your why, that's your purpose uh, in life. So I, I am able to, uh, by the grace of God, to, to know uh, that uh, as it concerns my particular assignment, my particular walk in life, that God has created me for a purpose. And, and with that in mind, it gives me a perspective, a, a positive perspective, an optimistic perspective in taking care in helping people and guiding uh, them uh, to a good place in their own life, their own being. So, and I believe that, that when you get to work that out, you understand what your purpose is and and when you have a positive perspective on life, then it draws you toward a particular outcome. You're targeting, you're shooting for something, and then you're able to kind of put together whatever your strategy is going to be for getting there. And I have had the opportunity to experience that in my 53 years of life, brother. Absolutely. Pastor Evans, thank you for that powerful response. Uh, what I heard in your speaking was a, a call to action. And, yes. and that, that lets me know that you are you have identified your your assignment here uh, on this planet that we call Earth, and that's your why, that's your purpose, that's your perspective, that's your lens, that's how you see things. You see a need, you see your assignment, and how it aligns to the need, and then you get the work done. And if you don't have the resources on hand, then you know where to draw those resources resources from. So I love that response. And and it leads me to my next question, uh, which is for our, another panelist here, uh, Charles Big C. Caldwell. Please say hello to the people again, sir. Hello, everyone. Charles Big C. Caldwell. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me tell you a little bit, little bit about uh, Charles Big C. Caldwell, motivational speaker. Uh, his website is www.adolescence2adult.com. Uh, Big C, also known as Charles 
Caldwell is happily married to Robbie with one daughter who graduated from Prairie View A&M University. Big C is a retired Air Force Master Sergeant of more than 25 years. Prior to retirement, he served as superintendent of 624th Air Defense Liaison Element in Yokoto Air Base, Japan. Big C is a highly decorated airman. He received the uh, combination medals and five operational Iraqi Freedom Medals and Enduring Freedom Medals as well. He is the creator of Man Up University at Mansfield ISD. He is a University of Phoenix alumni. He's a member of the uh, MISD Leadership Committee and Back to School Badge Committee. Even uh, though Big C is wearing many hats, the ultimate goals is to give back to the community. He does it through entertainment, through informing, through persuading all adolescents to become successful adults. He's a coach. Uh, he's also great friends with the real deal than the Holy Field. And so my question to you, Big C, is what are some of the ways you can identify goals for uh, achieving mental wellness? Also, tell us uh, specifics. Like, what, what can you do to reach those goals as it relates to mental wellness? Okay, I appreciate you having me, Isaiah. And uh, I'd like to start off by, uh, I'm going to name six you know, ways, you know, six goals for achieving wellness, and then I'm going to give you, you know, the, the six ways of, you know, of meeting those goals. The first one, when it comes to identifying a goal for achieving wellness, in my opinion, is identify. You know, when you identify, you have to admit, you have to realize that you have a problem, and you name some of them specific, and every one of us have a weakness. You know, you can't choose stress. Stress happens every day, and you can't avoid it but you can manage it. And as you label, you know, 12.8% of blacks deal with depression and 11.4% Hispanics. So we lead the nation. I wonder why. Is it oppression? Good point. The second one is take small steps, okay? When you realize that you have a problem, you have to make it specific. You have to make sure it's realistic. And the way you do that is you hold yourself accountable. You know, we all have weaknesses. And when you try to avoid those weaknesses, then you're thinking negative. You're not holding yourself accountable, okay? Number three, you want to get support, i.e. treatment, counseling, etc. And let me share something personal with you guys. And I know the whole world is hearing it, but this is confident. My pastor and the real deal, those are two people that I confide in when I'm struggling, when I'm going through trials and tribulations because of, we all have different walks in life. But iron shop and iron. So there are times when I call Pastor E, they say, man, I need to talk. I call the real deal and say, holy, how do I deal with this? And experience is the only situation where you get the test before the lesson. So if a person has been through that already, they can tell you how to deal with it. So that's what I do. I reach out and touch somebody. And, and I'm not ashamed. You know, I mean, I ain't got to worry about it going nowhere. Let me put that part in that trustworthy. You have to confide in somebody that's trustworthy. Okay? Number four. Share your goals with others. I just did. I just shared with the whole world. When you're going through trials and tribulations, confide in somebody. You know, you have to realize a person's history. Know their history. Know that, that, that they're, if they're walking with God, I can guarantee you they have an answer for you. I can guarantee you that. And they might come from a different perspective of the way you've been seeing it. Because a lot of times, your perception can be off. If you allowing your feelings to get involved, you're getting all wrapped up into it, wearing your feelings on your sleeve like I do sometimes, you don't take things the wrong way. So when you can find in somebody that ain't feeling that right there at the same time, they're going to give you the straight, honest truth. You might not like it, but the truth hurt. 
Number five, stay positive. Stay positive. And the way you stay positive is you control your thoughts. Don't allow your mind to slip. And it do. When it does, when you realize you're thinking something negative, evil, whatever it is, you have to stop it right there on the spot. You, you control what you think. Don't allow your mind to wonder on something negative. If it was wondering, make sure it's something positive. Number six, track yourself. How do I track myself? Try to make your day better than yesterday. That's how I track myself. Wherever I slipped yesterday, made a mistake, allowed myself to get angry, thought something negative, no matter what it is, I critique myself. I said, tomorrow I'm gonna be better. So when I wake up, I thank the good Lord for another day and try to make this day better than yesterday. Every day I do the same thing. Here is my suggestions on reaching your goals. You, you, you know, like I said, you can't avoid success, but you can manage it. Manage it. Number two, you wanna take small steps. Make today better than yesterday but don't look back. Number three, confide in the trustworthy friend. Number four, forgiveness. That I wanna talk about a little bit because when you hold something in, anger, pain, it don't matter what it is, when you hold it in, you're only hurting yourself because the person that offended you might not realize they offended you, number one. Number two, and if you keep holding it, you're only hurting yourself because that person is moving on with their life. So you have to learn forgiveness. You have to practice it. You have to pray on it. And you have to keep using that every day. Sometimes you have to forgive yourself. Sometimes you have to laugh at your own mistakes. Number five, ensure goals are measurable, attainable, and realistic. And the way that you ensure that your goals are measurable, attainable, or realistic is nobody know you better than you know yourself. So don't set yourself up for failure. Set goals that you know you can attain. Set goals that you know that are realistic to you. I'll be 60 in two weeks. Ain't no sense me time I don't play in the NBA because I know I can't. But it's all good though. Those are, those are realistic goals. I know me better than anybody else. Number six, timely or time limited. Set times or how long you gonna try to reach that goal. Sometimes when you keep knocking at the door, if that door don't open, it's not meant for that door to open for you. So you gotta say, okay, I'm gonna try to be here in six months. I'm gonna try to be here in one year. Whatever that time is, you set those goals and you reach for it. And there are times when you have to understand, okay, maybe that's not meant for me, that I'm gonna move on to something else. And that's my word right there. That's my word. And it's a powerful word. You know, when you speak Big C, I always hear your heart. You can always, you always deliver your heart when you speak. And you, know, you, you talked about several, several things. I'm not gonna go through everything that you went through, but it, it, it's tied to accountability, you know? And when you yeah. are accountable, like I said, well, like you said, it, it gives you a better perspective and really it's helping you develop communication skills. It's helping you establish and maintain healthy relationships. You got healthy relationships with your pastor and the real deal, you know, and this helps you develop a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset uh, or, or I can't do it, I can't do it. And it's just like, you know, not yet. You know, I'm not gonna the door, it won't open. It won't open yet, but eventually it will. And this helps you develop self-determination. You know, we got some, we got some real, we got some real panelists on this, this talk show this evening that knows about knows all about self determination, about building on strengths, about turning challenges into opportunities. I mean, come on, I can't wait. I just can't wait. I'm, I'm you got me, you got me motivated. Thank you so much, uh, Big C, for that response. And, and Pastor Evans, thank you again, sir, for setting it off like this because you helped set this conversation off. Uh, with that being said, our next panelist is the lovely Nina Taylor. How are you? How are you doing this evening? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, sir? 
Oh, we are so glad to have you here. Let me tell you a little bit about Miss Nina Taylor. Nina has a Bachelor's of Science in both broadcast journalism and psychology. During her 30 years of radio, Nina became the station promoter and brought many outstanding national gospel artists to the great state of Ohio while promoting the radio station. Nina has an international news segment entitled The Gospel News that airs on over 400 stations in the U.S., Canada, United Kingdom and Africa. Nina can be heard nationally on her show, The Gospel Express, daily on Praise Radio. And that's 1580thepraise.com at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. K-R-G-N. MyKRGN.com. K-Way Gospel. Hip Hop Nation Radio. Love Radio Network. Spirit Soul Radio. Mia Radio Network. DWGN and many, many others. She is a part of a Saturday afternoon lineup with Kanona Allman with their show, The Blazing Hot Praise, a top 40 countdown radio station. The summer morning lineup on KROB, and like I said, a host of others. And with that being said, the lovely interior, my question for you this evening is, every, and I want everyone to ponder on this question, you know, have you ever been afraid of something? But, mm-hmm. Nina, what are some of your fears um, as a woman, as an African-American woman, as it relates to mental health uh, or mental, you know, with mental health? Well, you know, it's amazing how so many times that I've been on the show that it, you're hitting on things that actually affect me in my life personally. Uh, many years ago, and anyone who follows me on any of my social media knows that I lost a daughter uh, many years ago. And every year in May, because her birthday uh, is in May, I do post up, I have a picture of an African-American angel baby which someone gave me that, that just gave me a lot of joy because it looks like me. But during that experience, after that experience, uh, I went through a very ugly divorce, and the judge actually uh, made me go to grief counseling because he was saying, I can see that you're still in a lot of pain and all this is that going on. And I was ordered into grief counseling. Had it not been for that, I wouldn't have even went. And just by coincidence, uh, the person, the, the psychologist that I uh, met with was an African-American female, just like myself. She was two years older than me, and she was very new. Her practice was very, very new, and she was saying that you're like the first woman to walk in this office that looks like me, and it's um, <laughs> and I said, and I was ordered here by a judge. How about that? You know, so I do believe in getting help wherever it's needed. You know, if you're having pain somewhere, get help. If you're having pain in your mind or in your heart. Get some help. We're the last ones that will seek help for anything. Why? You know, one of the main reasons is because nobody wants anybody pointing a finger at them and saying, you're crazy. You know, nobody wants the stigma of that on them. If there is something wrong, I know someone right now who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and he said, wow, you know, if my job finds out they're going to fire me, they probably will because nobody wants anybody who's crazy, and, and I'm using the word crazy loosely because that's what they'll say. They're going to say, oh, he has mental health issues. They'll say, you're crazy. You know, we don't want you here. So nobody wants that stigma on them. You know, we're the last ones to seek help for anything. Why? Because, number one, and it does cost. It costs. And a lot of people don't know that maybe your health insurance may even cover it. I didn't know that my health insurance covered, you know, anything like that. But a lot of the plans do cover that. 
probably because nobody ever uses it. And historically, African Americans, when has anyone tried to help us with our mental and emotional health? Not ever. So this is something that we fear historical bias and racism when it comes to most things in our lives. You know, we're the last ones to get help for something like that. We're the last ones to be able to pay for it. You know, a lot of people with mental illness are very low income. You know, are you going to buy food? Or are you going to go see a counselor? You know, but there's resources that you can seek out. There's lots of free resources that you can get in your community if you need that kind of help, which I found out now. The reason why I majored in psychology in college, you know, and of course, remember, I went back after many years, is because I wanted to help out at my church with the counseling. The person who was supposedly helping me was not qualified. You know, we don't have any qualified people in churches doing things. We have people in churches doing things who just want to do it. They have barely any education to do anything. A lot of them just doing it because nobody else will do it. So I wanted to help out with the counseling and with talking to people and helping on that end because I know when I was going through something, I looked to my church for help and it wasn't any real help. I ended up having to be ordered into counseling and then was able to get real help. But that's mainly why I did it. But those are the reasons why we don't do it. We can't afford it. We don't want anybody pointing a finger at us. And we don't trust anybody like that. We need more people in the African-American community becoming counselors. We're underrepresented in that area as well. We need more women, more African-American males. We're so more comfortable talking to somebody who looks like us. And that's why we don't seek the help. That was the lovely Nina Taylor. As always, you bring so much, so much to this podcast, and we appreciate you for that. You know, I heard a lot about recovery and what you said, and I also felt the rebound, the rebound not only in your life but in so many other strong women's lives and strong men's lives as well, and it reminded me of a diamond. You know, a diamond, you know, it goes through a lot of being, uh, a lot of cuts. It goes through a lot of cuts, but it's but it's resilient if you think about it because it, it, it gets cut, but then it comes back for the next cut, and then it comes back for the next cut. And I know your life has had those types of uh, rebounds where you've, you've gotten hurt, but you, you bounce back, you got hurt, you bounce back, you got hurt, and bounce back. But when it was time, when it was ready, when you were ready, and when that light hit you, bling, you, you started to shine like you shining tonight. And not only did you shine uh, in your neighborhood, but you shine throughout the world. Because like I mentioned in your bio, you have uh, people listening to you on over 400 radio stations. And I'm pretty sure you're going to go syndicate uh, probably sometime before the end of the year. So, you know, these are the resilient people we need to hear from. And in the field of, of the professional field, the field of education, the field of mentoring. And, uh, and you know, while, while, while I'm talking about this, I mean, you mentioned church, and since we have a pastor on, on the podcast with us this evening, uh, uh, Dr. Pastor Michael Evans, let me ask you a question. Why, why is having good communication skills so crucial as a, a male minority leader? Well, you know, thank you for asking me that question. It's very crucial because uh, we as African Americans, uh, we are, in many cases, we are passionate. I, I've, uh, I've had the opportunity to uh, be on the continent about four times, three, four times. And, and when I watch my people, my, my native African uh, people uh, talk, they talk with much passion. And, and we do as well. And I know that uh, in, in the calling that I have, but also 
uh, as a public servant, I'm, I'm on a, uh, a couple of boards here in our area. You know, when we talk and when we talk, you know, with, with the fire and, and vigor behind uh, our speech, you know, they, they, they want to label me as an angry brother. You know, and I have to say to them, I said, no, I'm as passionate as the white guy. You know, when he speaks like this, you call him passionate, but you call me angry. And, and, you know, it's important that we are able to communicate because we have to get our point across. You know, we have to be able to articulate our strategy for moving forward. We have to be able to articulate and be able to lay it out in such a way where people really understand where we're attempting to go, you know, in regard to our plans for our lives. I really appreciate it, though, Isaiah, if you don't mind, uh, if I can just kind of lean back into what uh, um, my sister Taylor said uh, regarding uh, mental illness. My sister is so, so light about the stigma uh, that we run into in the African-American community. Uh, Big C can tell you uh, annually we have what we call our whole health fair. And when we say whole health, we're talking about uh, mental health as well as, our, as well as diabetes and prostate cancer and all of that because what people fail to understand is that when you're talking about mental health, and my sister said it right, people want to label you as crazy, but no, it's not crazy. Uh, mental health issues are physiological issues. I mean, it's, it, it's a, it is a physical uh, problem, and uh, these are things that, that we need to get help for. And, and one of the things that we did in our local area, speaking of communication, is uh, when the Lord blessed me uh, to serve on the Blue Ribbon panel for our county, uh, one of the things that we discovered in regard to mental health is the fact that the county jail and the state penitentiary have more people who, who are incarcerated because they have mental health problems as are hospitalized. So, so in order for us to uh, really uh, help our particular health network to build more uh, mental health space and mental health hospitals, but we have to articulate uh, that and our plans and, and, and demonstrate through the data why it was important to look at the whole health and well-being of people, persons, individuals. Well, if you aren't able to communicate that, if you aren't able to lay out the facts, if you aren't able to uh, um, lovingly influence and convince people uh, that uh, this is a matter that has to be given top priority, then you won't get anything done. And also, I've learned that it's important for us to master the English language. You know, profanity is one thing, <laughs> but you have to be able to utilize other terms in a diplomatic manner. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that question. And, Sister Taylor, thank you so much for highlighting, uh, highlighting um, the mental health piece. And, Isaiah, God bless you, because that is so very important in the black community. We need to stop calling people crazy, and we need to understand that, uh, you know, our folks deal with post-traumatic stress, all kind of things, you know, uh, based upon the oppression that we've had to undergo and are undergoing right now. And uh, my prayer is that we can use the pen as well as our lips and our tongue uh, to communicate and to write policy and to change these laws uh, so that uh, we can have the equity and equality that we need. So thank you, Brother, for asking me that question. I'm done. Wow, that was, I'm speechless. What can you say after that? What can you say after Amen. that? Amen. To God be the glory. 
Amen. To, amen. To be the, that's it. Amen. Wow. Let me let me try to get this thing back. Uh, so, you know, how is everybody feeling? How is everybody feeling? You know, we as Americans, we are seeing a lot of changes going right before our eyes, and it's, we're witnessing history. And we're gonna need we're gonna need some fighters. We're gonna need some fighters in the ring and outside the ring. Not just for us, but for our children, for the future generation. And we're going to need to be that voice, okay? We're going to need to be that voice that they can go and listen to and hear and get guidance and get some kind of direction. Because let's face it, they're scared. They're scared. A little, a kid, a kid. I don't know how old he was, but this kid wrote a song. His mom wrote the song, I believe. Anyway, it went viral, and he said, "I just want to live." And then he's crying out to God, God, please help me. I just want to live. He said, I just want to breathe. Yeah. You, you created me to breathe. I just want to do what you designed me to do. And so tonight we got a panelist here that's going to give us some tools to breathe. With that being said, we have the real deal. John the Holy Spirit, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Bless you, bless you, sir. So pleased to have you here. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Evander Holyfield. The real deal Holyfield is an American professional boxer who competed from 1984 to 2011. He resigned as the undisputed champion at cruiserweight in the late 1980s and at heavyweight in the early 1990s and remains the only boxer in history to win the undisputed championship in two weight classes. Nicknamed the Real Deal Holyfield is the only four-time world heavyweight champion having held the unified WBA, WBC, and IBF. As an amateur, Holyfield represented the United States at the 1984 Summer Olympics, winning a bronze medal in the light heavyweight division. He turned professional at the age of 21, I believe, moving up to cruiserweight in 1985 and winning his first world championship the following year, defeating Dwight Muhammad Quali for the WBA title. Holyfield then went on to defeat uh, Ricky Parthi and Carlos De Leon to win the WBC and IBF titles, thus becoming the undisputed cruiserweight champion. He moved up to the heavyweight in 1988, later defeating Buster Douglas in 1990 to claim the unified WBA and WBC and IBF heavyweight champion of the world, defending his title numerous, numerous times. Holyfield was forced to retirement in 1994, I believe, upon medical advice, only to return a year later with a clean bill of health in 1996, where he defeated Mike Tyson and reclaimed the WBA title in what was named the Ring in the Ring magazine as the fight of the year and the upset of the year. This made Holyfield the first boxer since the great Muhammad Ali to win a world heavyweight title three times. I got the real deal Holyfield with me. And sir, my question to you is why is it why is it so important for you to effectively manage your inner feelings and impulses? Well, the, the important is just like the first commandment with the promise. Honor your father and your mother and that things will be well. And, and I was able to do that and, and 
my mother actually wanted me to be better than she was. So one thing that the person who I, who you become is when you when you honor your parents. You know, you know, with my mother, she she didn't want me to make the mistakes that she made, and so my mother was, you know, her tongue got her in trouble. And so today, that people, when people see me, people always talk about, wow, how can he control himself? Because my mother wanted me to be better than her, and she always told me, she said, son, you know, everybody falls short, but, you know, you don't need to make the same mistakes that I made. And so the things that I was great in was the things that my mother wasn't great in. And, you know, my mother, my mother only had a sixth grade edu- education, but because I respected my mother, because I, I wanted to please my mother, I was always, always praying, asking God to help me to be able to do the things that, that, that you know, I didn't want my mom to ever have to ask nobody for anything. I, you know, I, I felt that if she asked me for something, I want to have whatever it takes that she wanted. And uh, at the age of 21, I, I became the person, I, I made, the, made the Olympic team. And so I come out and I have a, a million dollar contract. And you know, and, and it was just as, you know, my mother kept, uh, everything, that, everything that I did, everybody always wondering how could you establish this discipline it was my mother. My mother loved me so much that even when I was a kid, my mother said, let me tell you something, you ain't old enough to be my friend. You know, you do what I tell you to do. And like this, you don't do what I do. Is my mother said, because I got bad habits. And so my mother constantly would, would tell me, you, you want to learn from my mistakes. You don't want to make the same mistake. And I found that, that all these things that my mother told me, Allow me to be the person who I am today. For people I always wondering, said, you know, how could you be raised in the ghetto and and you didn't pick up these things? Well, you know, I, I was the youngest of nine, and 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 my brothers and sisters, because they knew that if 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 they allowed me to do something wrong, my mother was going to get them first and get me second. And so it's amazing by. With this talk about dismiss starts at home, your success starts really starts at home. Success starts at home about what do the people tell you. And I'm successful because my brothers and sisters realized that anything happened to me, they were going to get it first, and I was going to get it second. So I I was well disciplined as as this young kid that who had a goal. Uh, I went to the boys club at the, you know, at, at, at the age of eight. And when I got to the boys club, this, 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 this guy seen me hit the bag real hard. And he told me that I could be the heavyweight champion of the world. And, and he said, what do you think about being the heavyweight champion of the world? You can be like Muhammad Ali. And I looked at him and I said, he said, what do you think? I said, well, I got to ask my mama. And the guy said, well, well, wait a minute. He says, you know, no, no. You could be the heavyweight champion of the world. I said, no, but I got to ask my mama. 
So he asked me again. And I said, well, but still I got to ask her mama because I realized that the most important thing in life is even as that man telling me I could be it, I knew that only way I can do it is my mama tell me I can do it. I can't do it because he's telling me I could do it because my mama got to give me the right to do it. And so I remember the man draw back and he thought about it. He said, you know what? You really have a good mama. He said, so go home and ask that good mama and see what that good mama has to say. So I went home and I said, I said, mama, I said, this white man at the boys club named Mr. Morgan say, I could be like Muhammad Ali. And when I told my mama that, my mama looked at me strange and she said, do you know what they gonna do to you? And so I, you know, I figured I had said something wrong because the way my mama reacted. And she said, they gonna hit you. So you know, you gotta understand that at that point in time in my life, I used to get three women a day. So I was used to getting hit. So my mama looked at me and said, well, well you can't hit them back. And, and I remember going into the bathroom, I looked in the mirror and I held my hands up. I said, Evander Holyfield, the heavyweight champion of the world. And the point of saying that, it didn't sound good. But every time I, I go to the bathroom, I would look in the mirror and tell myself that they had, I want to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And so when I went back and went back to the boys club Monday and I, I told Mr. Morgan that my mama said I could be the heavyweight champion of the world. And he looked at me and said, son, oh, wait a minute. He said, because he was trying to figure out how to explain to me it wasn't time to be it. But because all I thought about being the heavyweight champion of the world, the goal was to be the heavyweight champion of the world. I didn't know that I had to, I had to fight these fights and lead to him. I thought I was going to fight one time and be it. But Mr. Morgan said, son, let me, let me tell you something. You know, Mr. Morgan was about 60, 60 something years old, about 64. He said, he said, let me tell you something. He said, now, he said, I'm old right now, you know. He said, I really ain't got that much time now. He said, now, let, let me tell you something. He said, I'm going to tell you something about a, a goal, and I'm going to tell you something about a fantasy. He said, a goal when you want to be something, when you want to be something, and then that means you're going to work at it. And he said, now, a fantasy when you want to be something, and you're not going to work at it. So is this a goal or a fantasy? Because I ain't got that much time. And I told him, go. He said, okay, you got to fight in two days. And, uh, you know, and he, he got me prepared for that fight. And I win my first fight. And when I win this first fight, Mr. Morgan was so happy that I won the first fight. And he, he tells me, he said, uh, he said, you took your first step of being the heavyweight champion of the world. And you know, I was all excited and I come home and give my mom this trophy. I found that my mama really liked trophies and she put this trophy on the thing and it, it, it kind of gave me the attention that, that I really wanted. And cause every time somebody come into the house, they would say, Miss Holyfield, 
who the boxer? And my mama would smile and say, that little one right there. Hey, wait, he's small. My mama said, but he can fight. And that's where the, I finally found out what pleased my mama. And, and, and I just wanted to make my mama happy. And, and from that, I, I continued to fight until I lost my first fight. When I lose my first fight, I start crying. I tell the coach that I quit. I didn't like him no more, just as a kid would do. And, uh, and shoot, when I went home, I told my mama that I lost and I was crying. And she, she let me cry for, for about a minute or two and then tell me, shut up and tell me what, what, what happened. I said, I lost the fight. And she said, in? And I told her I quit. And my mother said, I didn't raise a quitter. You got to go back. And so if my mama told me I had to go back, I had to go back. It wasn't nothing, nothing else. So I go back and the man said, what you doing here? I thought you said you quit. And I told him my mama said I had to come back. Then he said, didn't I not tell you you had a good mama? And I was kind of upset with him because I didn't want to come back because this kid had beat me. And I fought the kid again, and he beat me again when I, when I was 12. Then uh, when I turned 13, well, I, I, I didn't want to fight that kid. I want to go around the thing. So I brought a five-pound weight that going to make me weigh 105 because I knew the kid weighed 100. But when I got there, I didn't see the kid because I thought I didn't see him. I get in 100 pounds. And I got there, and... When I made it to the final, and all of a sudden, all my friends who have lost started saying, well, you're going to lose too. I said, I said, but I would lose, but my mama's going to get me. I said, because my mama told me if I had to be the only one to show up, then I have to be the only one to show up. Then, but then uh, my friend said, you know that guy speaks a con? I said, he didn't show up. Then he said, what is his name doing right here? When I seen this kid's name, I destroyed crime. And so I knew that that I was going to be in trouble because I got to fight this guy who don't beat me twice. And all of a sudden, so uh, the lady, people who put on the event, they knew me ever since I was six years old. So they told me that I didn't have to fight it. I said, but my mama's going to get me. They said, well, we ain't going to tell. I realized my mama, you know, I know I can't ever beat my mama, but I can beat, I, I can try to beat Cecil Collins, but I know if I don't go fight him and my mama find out that I'm really going to get to her. So that was the first fight that I ever prayed because I wanted to win so bad. So I remember just saying, please, Jesus help me. And I remember all my friends would say, oh, he calling Jesus. He calling Jesus. And they laughed at me and they laughed at me. And when I went up to the ring, my coach said, just give your very best. And, and I gave my very best. And they said, the winner, Evander Hollyfield. It went holy, but I know that's what they call me. And, and I was so happy. And from that point on, from that point on, 
Every time I fall, I ask God to help me. And I lost, I lost nine more times after that, but I end up with a record 164 wins and 11 losses. And you know, and made the Olympic team, became the, became the, the cruiserweight champion of the world and the four-time midweight champion of the world. And this is because I just didn't give up and because my mother had taught me at a young age to not to quit and, and taught me how to pray. And the same thing that I, I, when I go visit the young people, I say, look, hey, the first command with the promise, honor your father and your mother. I say, if you do that right, everything else lines up. I'm over here crying. Listen, this has been another impactful night of the Impact of Educational Leadership. Um, your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone III, I promise tonight, are Nina Taylor, Charles B.C. Carwell, Pastor Dr. Michael A. Evans Sr., and the great, real deal, Evander Holyfield. Love you all. Good night. Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting. <laughs>